Welcome to News in Focus with your host, Chris Long, president of the Ohio Christian Alliance. Stay tuned for an analysis and conversation about the issues that matter most to you and your family. Here now with this week's edition of News in Focus is Chris Long. And good afternoon and welcome to this edition of News in Focus. We're glad that you've joined us and we are continuing our series on the coronavirus health crisis uh, here in the state of Ohio. Of course, each day at 2 p.m., the governor, along with his uh, director of health and other members from his cabinet, are giving briefings and updates about the coronavirus health crisis and how our health care system is absorbing uh, the influx of those who are being hospitalized. Although, thankfully, the numbers in Ohio have been muted. So maybe some of the measures that were enacted early on this month by the governor and his health de- uh, department are causing uh, the numbers of infections to be low in the state of Ohio. We certainly hope that that's the case. But what we're going to talk about is the impact that it's having to the rest of society right now. And as many businesses are closed down and there is actually an economic uh, Uh, fall off that's happening across the state of Ohio, which is causing, of course, the receipts that come into the state treasury to fall off dramatically as businesses, restaurants, uh, other venues are closed across the state of Ohio, including small business. Uh, In fact, everything that isn't considered uh, essential is being closed and people are staying at home. And so we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about how uh, there really needs to be a timetable as to when Ohioans and Americans will get back to work. But late last night in the U.S. Senate, they finally came to a deal, to an understanding uh, in the U.S. Senate for a relief package to businesses across the country and to individuals. Let's listen to Senator Mitch McConnell as he gives the announcement that an agreement had been reached. Well, Madam President, I have an update for the information of all senators and for the information of the American people, and it's good news. It's good news for the doctors and nurses in emergency rooms around the country who are waiting for more masks and more funding. It's good news for families all across America. At last, we have a deal. After days of intense discussions, the Senate has reached a bipartisan agreement on a historic relief package for this pandemic. It will rush new resources onto the front lines of our nation's healthcare fight, and it will inject trillions of dollars of cash into the economy as fast as possible to help American workers, families, small businesses, and industries make it through this disruption and emerge on the other side ready to soar. The Bipartisan CARES Act will squarely address each of the four big priorities that I laid out in my legislation at the beginning of the process about a week ago. It will rush financial assistance to Americans through direct checks to households from the middle class on down and through a significant and creative expansion of unemployment insurance during this emergency. It will deliver historic relief to Main Street America through hundreds of billions of dollars in emergency loans so more small businesses can survive this and keep paying their workers. It will help secure our economic foundations and stabilize key national industries to prevent as many layoffs as possible, while keeping big companies accountable as both sides have sought to do. And of course, it will push major relief to hospitals and healthcare providers, invest in new medicines and vaccines so we can beat this virus faster 
and help get more equipment and masks to the frontline heroes who put themselves at risk to care for patients. In effect, this is a wartime level of investment into our nation. The men and women of the greatest country on earth are going to defeat this coronavirus and reclaim our future. Again, that was Senator Mitch McConnell, president of the U.S. Senate. And, of course, he was uh, announcing the deal that was struck with Democrats last night on the CARE Act. And so it looks as if it is on its way uh, to being approved also in the U.S. House of Representatives and then on to the president's desk. It will relieve uh, some of the um, uh, economic fall that we've had over the last three weeks now as it's uh, been closure after closure and disruption in the workforce here in um, the United States. And so what we want to talk about uh, this segment is talking about what business is doing and how they're faring. How does small business that actually employs most of America faring at this time? With me on the phone is Greg Lawson. He is the Senior Research Fellow at the Buckeye Institute, a conservative think tank here in the state of Ohio. Also with me on the phone is Larry Carlson. He is the uh, retired co-owner of the Original Mattress Factory. And gentlemen, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me on. Larry, I want to ask you, you've actually had real life experience in small business that actually grew over the years with the original Mattress Factory. You're now retired here in the last year or so, but uh, you've had some interesting thoughts about this. What are businesses experiencing right now? For instance, uh, you know, we are told that now the numbers are between five and seven million uh, restaurant workers nationwide have been laid off. Uh, that's just one sector of the uh, private sector that is uh, getting hit really hard right now. But there's small business across the state that has also had to shutter uh, its doors because of the health director's order. What kind of impact is that having on small business? Well, thank you for asking me, Chris. Um, I think the the, the issue is that there are approximately 52 million people who work for small businesses in this country. And small businesses being like restaurants and, and bars and clothes shops, machine shops, mattress stores, etc. So of that 52 million people, they rely on their wages every day. So if their money, if, if business has to shut down, because of the non-essential operation of a lot of these businesses, they have still, they have their leases to pay, they have their employees to pay, they have electric, gas, and then they have to take care of themselves with that additional money. And it's just saying that in a short amount of time, these small businesses will not survive. They'll, they'll go bankrupt. And, and most places say that with, within... 30 days, 21% of small businesses will fail. So if you just take 21% of 52 million, that's a million jobs lost, 10 million jobs lost, excuse me, 10 million jobs lost, not to be returned. So yes, you can help people by giving them individual money, and I think that's good. But if you don't get the money to the small businesses today, these jobs will disappear and won't exist in 30 days. And my fear is that government has a, um, a knack for moving slow, and they still haven't passed this. And after they pass it through the Senate, they have to pass it through the House. 
and and then they have to figure out how to get the money to these small businesses. And normally, to get a small business loan, it takes about 90 days. Now, hopefully, they can speed that up. But in a month, if you lose 21% of these businesses, they go bankrupt. We're in trouble. Larry, thank you for that. You know, I was talking to my brother in California who operates a small business, and uh, he was talking about how they're faring. And he said, we do have business in the shop, and, of course, it's an auto repair uh, location. It's an Amco Transmission Center. And he was talking about what we do. Thankfully, we have some work. But he said, I also did receive some relief. Uh, He has one loan uh, from one... um, a banking institution that actually said that we're it's it's a kind of a loan where he has to make payments i think uh uh, twice a month or maybe even every Monday or something to make a draw on his account. And it was a business loan. And by the way, he has some issues about business loans. He said, I've been in business for many years. And a few years ago, when the banks, of course, in 2008, with that financial collapse, when they emerged out of it, they were much more stringent. And during the Obama administration, they put much more restrictions on banking and lending institutions uh, so that those business loans to small business were not easy to to obtain. And people that had been lending him those lines of credit as he would operate, because there are highs and lows in the calendar year for each business, each business has that. Um, And so those are essential to have that cash revenue stream into small business to keep it going. And so he said it's been just really difficult to get a proper business loan in recent years. So thankfully, this institution notified him, we're going to suspend your payments for the next 30 days. Understand, he said, that will cause me to have some relief. But the bills keep coming for small business. The The doors may be closed. The customers aren't there. The cash revenue is not coming in, but their bills do not stop. And I'm glad you brought that up. And that's what we're concerned about. The president expressed that. He says, I don't want the cure to be worse than the disease. Greg Lawson, your thoughts. Well, I think this is an unprecedented situation that we're confronting here. And we have a real difficult balancing act that government officials from Washington to Columbus, down to even the local levels here in Ohio, are really having to wrestle with. And that is, how do you balance uh, the protection of people and protection of lives and and stopping what is a particularly pernicious uh, virus with the coronavirus? And how do you do that in a way that doesn't shutter the economy? And of course, as of right now, that's essentially what we have done in Ohio. You're seeing this, obviously, in New York State, which is essentially the epicenter nationally now when you look at the numbers there it's it's truly alarming uh the sheer uh volume that's going up but um it's difficult uh the president is right uh we do need to have the economy open up uh the question is going to be how do we do smart targeting um one of the challenges of course is the testing here in ohio and nationally too of course because until you get enough tests out there to know who has it, and you can then do kind of the strategic quarantining and social distancing and things like that, you run into a, a problem, which is why we're doing this wholesale thing where everybody is is being subjected to it. Uh, and, and we're going to have to get to the point, uh, hopefully again sooner rather than later, to where we can uh, have this be more strategic about who we're dealing with so that those folks who are not the most susceptible to the coronavirus, are able to get back and start doing work. Um, I don't know that I see this uh, changing in the near uh, term 
like as in the next couple of weeks. I think it's going to be something that sometime in probably the second to third week in April, we're going to start really looking at this. I mean, the president's talking about, you know, Easter and trying to open up the economy. I'm not sure how that's going to pan out in the long run, if that's really what's going to happen, or even if it does happen, it may not, it's probably not going to happen all at one time. And of course, ultimately states and governors and states are the ones who are making a lot of these executive decisions. So even if the president says, you know, everybody go back to work, some governors are going to probably say yes. Some governors are probably going to say no. And so it's not going to be straightforward and simple. And the challenge is going to be, depending on where you're at, um, you know, the small businesses are the lifeblood of the economy. They are the ultimately the net job creators uh, in the economy, because usually when you have these, you know, a recession or something hit, happen, uh, big companies uh, tend to find ways to economize. They substitute capital or machines or AI or automation or whatever it is for labor. And uh, you see that even in things like fast food restaurants, where you've already, even before this outbreak, you saw the rise of kiosks in McDonald's or other fast food restaurants, which is reducing the number of people with jobs there. Um, you're going to see more of that in the uh, in, in the larger companies. But for the smaller companies that haven't done that, you know, it's absolutely right. This is devastating. And I just don't know how how quickly we're going to be able to unwind this because if, in fact, you take the the clamps off too quickly and you get a run on the hospitals before they are prepared to deal with spikes and numbers, you're going to end up with a much worse or potentially a much worse situation, which is obviously the stress on the healthcare system, the, the, the deaths that might come along with that, and that will only exacerbate the fears and things, which so far I think people have been, for the most part, handling themselves exceptionally well. We're a free nation, a free state. We recognize we have rights, but we also, I think, are having finding out that people understand they have responsibilities uh, that correspond to those rights. I think people are taking that on. But, you know, this is very, very worrisome. And I think that what we're going to have to look at in the long run is uh, at both the national level and the state level, what do we need to do to make it as easy as possible to have these guys hit the ground running uh, as soon as we can start to release some of these uh you know, lockdowns or the stay-at-home orders and things of that nature. Um, you're going to have to have the federal money is going to go in. It's going to have to go in. The bridge loans are going to have to happen so that places can retain their spot, not get kicked out of leased space. There's going to be a lot of work on mortgages. There's a lot of discussions about that, too, making sure that people don't lose uh, their their locations um, because they're not able to pay uh, mortgages for a while uh, and stuff. So, it, it, it's very difficult, but we're going to have to start thinking creatively about how do we how do we not have taxes uh, increase dramatically at this point in time? Because obviously this is going to be a big problem for the state governments in particular. Well, I, yeah, and I want to get there. Getting hammered. Yeah, I want to get there in a minute. Hold that thought because actually, right now I want to talk about timetable because for there actually to be credibility with uh, what uh, government officials are saying when they're talking about timetable. And originally it was three weeks, okay, that to lower the curve as far as the uh, spike in infections and the need for hospitalization in the event of uh, here in Ohio. So let's look closely at our state. 
Um, actually, the first 15 days actually expires tomorrow. If I'm re- if I'm counting back from the calendar from the first announcements from the governor's office uh, back on uh, the 10th or the 12th, uh, Thursday this week, Thursday, Friday this week would be the first 15 days. But that aside, the pr- uh, the, the other date was April 6th. Okay, but then uh, the the president's talking. He really wants things to get back to work by April twelfth. This was uh, stated yesterday from uh, his press conference. But yet, Governor Dewine said May first, and that's about as clear as mud. Uh, Larry Carlson, your thoughts on that about timetable? Yeah, I think the the governors who have set the the shutdowns each state are really in control of when they can turn it back on, more so than the president, in my opinion. I, I think um, I would love to see, and I, and I hope it happens, that we're back by Easter. But as uh, President Trump said, this is a, uh, a hope. And, and he doesn't, he's not the one who can say, okay, everybody has to go back to work. It really is, uh, um, as Greg said, by state by state. And so some states may come back, uh, you know, and some states may not. Well, I think uh, what what is in question there, and there's going to be a debate back and forth, some of the orders from the state, are they're actually quoting Homeland Security. So if the president actually, as the executive, orders, uh, you know, the release of these things, then I think the states would have less legal standing once the federal government opens things up. So I think that debate's going to happen. We're starting to see some legal opinion start to circulate this week, actually in the state of Ohio, that Sunday's stay-at-home order by the health director was a many believed to be a bridge too far, and actually because most Ohioans were complying with the reasonable uh, health uh, you know, requests and standards and policy that the uh, governor and the health director were uh, issuing, and people were complying. Uh, but Sunday night seemed to put a lot of confusion in the air about the stay-at-home order. Uh, Greg, are you getting some uh, thoughts on that? Because uh, there is a number of legal groups that have started to weigh in on that. We're going to hear more about it, I think, in the next uh, days and weeks. Well, we are because there's a real there's a lot of questions about what exactly it does it mean to have an essential business. That's sort of the crux of a lot of these these uh, concerns that are out there because uh, the definition of what's an essential business can be somewhat elastic depending on your perception of things. And you know, there's a lot of talk, I think, by the governor and by the lieutenant governor, trying to, to to say that you know there's a pretty plain letter reading of it, but it's not quite so plain letter reading. In fact, I was just watching press conference today that the governor was doing and the lieutenant governor made an interesting point which is you make uh, uh uh you know cardboard boxes are you or are you not essential well you're not essential from the standpoint that perhaps you know you're not making the drugs you're not making the food you're not directly making sure the roads are working so that people can transport goods right on the other hand you're making the product that those products are ultimately shipped in so are you or are you not and so there's a lot of ambiguity there, and I think what you're going to see is a lot of businesses not truly clear on what that is, and it'll be interesting over the course of next week to see how the enforcement, and I, I think the governor is going to do a good job of not trying to be overly heavy-handed with this uh, when people act in good faith uh, on this, uh, but what does that really mean? Uh, because you know, a lot of people will have different definitions. It's in the eye of the beholder somewhat uh, what that could possibly be. I mean, there's only a handful of things that you would say are truly 
you know, the entertainment industry and some of that stuff, you would say is not essential. But outside of that, it's very ambiguous. So I think we're going to have a lot of issues there. There's, and yeah, there's, yeah and, and some and, uh, grocery stores, pharmacies, those kind of things, right. hardware stores. Mm-hmm. Exactly, you know, yeah. uh, you need something later to fix your And they were trying to address clothes. some of that today. What considers this, the supply chain? Because what about the pallets that food and supplies are, are shipped on, you know, and the, the, uh, the, uh, containers and those kinds of things so what is a supply part of the supply chain so those are great questions and i think those will be uh you know uh vetted out here and of course the legislature is meeting today finally uh they're going to set a new primary date uh they're also going to address some other issues because you're talking about unemployment you're going to talk i talked to one state senator he said we already were behind the eight ball with the unemployment fund in the state so there's a lot of questions to be answered the the CARE Act will, of course, help states and help the funding of these things, but there's still a lot of questions that need to be answered. Larry, I want to go back to you again as someone who's actually worked in small business and, and seen the day-to-day operations. And we're going to hear from small businessmen of what they're, you know, they're, they're facing, because each day those bills come in, whether the revenue is coming in the door or not. Your thoughts on that, of, of the timetable, because as you mentioned earlier, there, there's not an indefinite period of time for these small businesses. Some of them will have to close their doors permanently, unfortunately. Your thoughts? Yeah, I, I, my fear is that, you know, every day goes by, you, you still have, as you said, you have the lease on the building, you have the electric on the building, you have the gas, the water bills. They don't stop doing that. You have the employees that you, if you want to help them, you try to keep them on the payroll because you don't want to lose them. And they also have health insurance that you have to pay for all those things, and then on top of all these bills with no income coming in, you have your bills, you have your mortgage on your house, you have your cars, you have you know, food on your table. So all of this is relying on income. And what little savings you may, especially if you're a relatively new, let's say you're only a year or two company and you just started to turn the corner, you will be closed very quickly. There's nowhere to go. There's nothing to do it. And when, the, when the, the state of Ohio shut down all non-essential businesses, um, it, it started the clock on, on a lot of these small businesses. Pennsylvania had it over a week ago, so they're already a week down. That they, I mean, if you're saying you know, 14 to 18 days you're going to lose these businesses, they're already a week down and there's nothing coming to them. Ohio's been down this week, so they're getting close to it, and there's nothing coming. So, the, you know, the fear is this is your, your heart. This is your heart of your, of your country is, is small business. Yes. And if we do not help them quickly, uh, we, we will have destroyed the economy totally. Well, I think there will be some balance that comes into this that the health professionals would say, you know, this has really helped what uh, Ohioans have been doing. I think we can release and open up some of our, uh, you know, businesses and our society and uh, protect those most vulnerable during the health care crisis. And I think that that's what's going to happen here. And so we all need to work together, no doubt. And folks, we encourage you to pray. Gentlemen, I want to thank you for coming on today and helping us understand this uh, complicated subject a little better. Again, uh, Larry Carlson, retired owner of the original, uh, co-owner of the uh, original Mattress Factory, and Greg Lawson, thank you for being my guest today. Thank you for having us, Chris. Thank Thank you. you. 
Well, stay with us on the other side. We're going to talk with Rob Walgate of the American Policy Roundtable, and they issued a paper this week about the limitation of some of those rights and some questions that they have concerning the stay-at-home order. You want to stay with us. We'll be right back. Almighty God, our sons, pride of our nation, this day have set upon a mighty endeavor, a struggle to preserve our republic, our religion, and our civilization, and to set free a suffering humanity. And the soldiers who stormed the beaches of Normandy and the Allied liberation of Europe, on D-Day, all those warriors set out on their mission President Franklin Delano Roosevelt led our nation in prayer. The D-Day Prayer Project is an effort to add FDR's D-Day Prayer in its entirety at the World War II Memorial in Washington, D.C. This wonderful historical presidential prayer will be a lasting tribute to our World War II veterans. If you'd like to make a contribution towards the effort of adding this prayer to the memorial, go to the website at ddayprayerproject.org. That's ddayprayerproject.org. Hello, I'm Ohio Governor Mike DeWine. We need all Ohioans to help us slow the spread of the coronavirus. For the most up-to-date information, please visit our website at coronavirus.ohio.gov or call 1-833-4-ASK-ODH, seven days a week. Furnished by Governor Mike DeWine, aired by the Ohio Association of Broadcasters and this station. There are everyday actions to help prevent the spread of respiratory diseases. Wash your hands. Avoid close contact with people who are sick. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Stay home when you are sick. Cover your cough or sneeze. Clean and disinfect frequently touched objects with household cleaning spray. For more information, visit cdc.gov COVID-19. This message brought to you by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station. And we're back, and we're going to continue our subject uh, of the coronavirus health care crisis. Uh, the governor on Sunday night issued yet another order, this time with his health department. They ordered what is called a director's stay-at-home order. Well, many of us were already complying with uh, group gatherings, of course, churches, uh, you know, Concert venues, restaurants, bars, and other venues across the state had already been closed. Uh, A lot of people were uh, practicing social distancing. Non-essential businesses were closing uh, voluntarily, of course, from the governor's uh, announcement, of course, because of the health care concerns with the coronavirus health care crisis. Uh, And that being said, This other order comes down on Sunday night, almost the third wave. In fact, as I've talked to a number of people, they felt as if it was a bridge too far because many Ohioans were already practicing all the things that Governor DeWine had asked us to do with his health department. And a lot of folks were complying, and it was really making a difference. In fact, thankfully, we've seen the numbers in Ohio relatively low uh, as far as infections and hospitalizations. And uh, hospitals right now do have open capacity as non-elective 
uh, or excuse me, elective surgeries have been suspended or postponed uh, to be rescheduled at a later time. That has allowed for more hospital capacity to exist currently throughout the state. Yet on Sunday night, this next order seemed to bring a lot of confusion to people. And I almost actually winced myself because we had already been addressing concerns. Some people texting me, tweeting me, is the next step martial law? And I said, no, for Pete's sake, no, it's not martial law. Um, you know, are we going to see National Guard and this kind of thing? And of course, the governor actually addressed those in his daily press briefing. Yet I knew when they issued that order on Sunday night, even though it's a very long document, by the way, something like 14 pages, but if you carry it out, 20-some pages, which uh, does list a lot of exemptions and exclusions uh, from the stay-at-home order. Yet there's been a ton of confusion, and the application of it uh, has uh, really wreaked havoc, uh, even with local communities throughout the state. Here to talk about it with us is the vice president of the American Policy Roundtable. Uh, they are a conservative group here in Ohio, but not just in Ohio, but also across the country in Tennessee, offices in Tennessee and in Florida. And uh, Rob Walgate, uh, welcome to the program. Hey, Chris. Thanks for having me. Well, you know, when I saw this uh, come out on Monday, I thought, amen, <laughs> because I thought, you're thinking the same way I am, and we're not alone because uh, Maurice Thompson, uh, attorney from Columbus, a constitutional attorney from the 1851 Law Center, also put out a paper today. So there's more and more voices addressing this. So let's talk about this. Tell us about the paper and press release that was put out uh, Monday by Dave Zanotti, the president of the American Policy Roundtable. Well, we hit on four points from what the governor and the Department of Health has ordered in the state of Ohio. The first point was an immediate resolution to the legal cancellation of the primary election of March 17th. So that was point number one. And what we wanted to be clear is that the governor, neither the governor nor Amy Acton, the director of the Department of Health, have the authority under law to cancel or postpone an election. It's clearly stated that's the role of the General Assembly. That's their job to set the date, the time, all that fun stuff. So when on Monday evening, March 16th, uh, they decided to find a couple of people in the state of Ohio to uh, bring a case. They put a case in front of a judge, and they wanted the judge, in essence, to postpone the election, to say there are issues with it based on the crisis we have. And the judge, I, I really admire the judge for standing up for the rule of law and say, he said, don't bring this to me. So we're 12 hours before an election, and I'm not about to wade into this right here. And um, he threw it out. And then when he threw it out and bounced it back and said he wasn't touching it, that's when the order came down on the election. And uh, Dr. Acton said it would be too much of a health concern uh, based on the powers that she's given in state law. Uh, she was able to, to say that. Now, we feel if, if she felt that they had the powers in the beginning, there would have been no need to go to the judge, right? They, they, they went to the courts to try and give them um, a backing, if you will, on that issue. So so that that was point number one of the press release. And I think we laid that out pretty clear. It was no problem if you want to postpone the election, but there's never a wrong way to do the right thing. You needed to call the General Assembly back in session. And so much had happened the week before. You had, you know, uh, the NBA, uh, the NCAA basketball, so many people, so many things that went down and said we're not even participating with colleges, university, March Madness, yeah. the baseball uh, opening, uh, everything. Yeah, everything was going down. So there was time to call the General Assembly back. That was 
that was point number one of the release. And some people, you know, were applauding the governor for doing it. We were saying, hey, you have to do it the right way. The rule of law must be followed. We understand we're in some unique circumstances, but the rule of law must be followed. And as we know, the Ohio General Assembly is, is fixing that um, as well as we speak. As we speak, um, right. So a lot of people working. would agree that that was handled poorly. Uh, again, you know, the legislature could reset the primary date. It's not a general election, obviously. Uh, Congress would have to do that. And in fact, we've held a general election during a civil war. So there's really no reason to move a general election, in my opinion, unless you had some kind of uh, national disaster. Uh, but the the event is it's even Congress that would reset a national election date. But this was a primary. We move it around on the calendar. Uh, fair enough. But uh, not on the 11th hour, and I agree with you, and that just bred a lot of confusion, yeah. It was, and many people believed it was handled poorly. Okay, let's well, go on to point number two. Uh, well, one thing, if I could hit on that, one more thing is I think we're setting a scary precedent. We're having the General Assembly extend the date of an election after that date has already passed. Yes. So we are past March 17th, obviously, and they are passing laws that will extend that election. Think about that. Think about that when it comes to precedent. To, to look back through history and say, they let the General Assembly extend an election after the date of the election that was supposed to be held. So, all right, point, point number two from the press release said an immediate repeal of the Ohio Department of Health orders closing Ohio businesses, including the stay-at-home order issued on Sunday, March 22nd. Yes. Now, some people read that and were like, thought that we were calling for people to go out and shake hands and hug each other and have total disregard health. And that's not the case at all. We felt that what was taking place was going beyond the bounds of the authority of the governor and the Department of Health, and that the General Assembly needed to be involved in these discussions. That's why we have 99 state reps. That's why we have 33 state senators from all across the state to weigh in and to help and to make these decisions. And when the governor and the Department of Health, it's the governor that issues the order. It's the Amy Acton is the one who actually signs it. Um, it's her responsibility in law. She's the one given that ultimate authority that the order comes from. We felt we felt that the General Assembly needs to be involved in this issue, especially when you read the Ohio Constitution, when you read Article 1, Section 1, when you read the rights that we're given as citizens of the United States and as citizens of the state of Ohio, this was crossing a line that we felt was going too far without the work of the General Assembly. You know, what's interesting here, Rob, is that, you know, I couldn't name you the health directors from the previous four or five administrations. It's not a person we normally hear from, okay? It's certainly not in this fashion. But again, these are unprecedented times. This is the first uh, worldwide pandemic in 100 years, uh, the 1918 uh, Spanish flu pandemic, certainly. Uh, and what one legislator told me, he says, Chris, what we're dealing with here is that these were laws that were on the books with the health director that haven't been amended since the 1918 uh, Spanish flu. So that's going to need to be looked at as well to restrain or at least put some checks and balances in as far as the health department and the governor executive's uh, uh, position on this. After all this, this is going to have to be addressed by the legislature as well to be updated. Um, 
But with that said, you know, many people believe that Sunday night did bring a lot of confusion. And, of course, unfortunately, we knew knew it would. Uh, There was people starting to call law enforcement and police stations all across the state who go to work. And they're saying, hey, do I need a permission slip? Think about that, Rob. That's ridiculous. We're living in the United States of America, a representative republic. We have a constitution. We have a Bill of Rights. Those haven't been suspended, folks. And... um, that's the unfortunate consequence of Sunday night's action with this director's stay-at-home order. And and it seems as if in some of these press conferences, Rob, they seem to be doubling and tripling down on it. So I'm a little concerned about that. Your thoughts on that? Well, yeah. So when you read the list, I'm concerned in a way with the government, in essence, picking winners and losers in certain instances to where defining what is essential and what is non-essential. Um, there's a lot of people that are going to be missing che- paychecks that that money is very essential in their lives. And again, when that's being said, that's not being said out of disrespect or out of the way we're not taking this seriously. No, it's not being said that way at all. It's understanding that we can't suspend laws. We can't suspend the Constitution by um, authoritative mandate because something is happening and going on. That's mm-hmm. the concern. That's the concern that we have. And to think that people... Um, would be concerned about about leaving their homes. I, th- I think the governor and um, the lieutenant governor have been clear that grocery stores will remain open and things like that. Banks will take banks will, are 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 there to function. Construction time. There's so many things that are going on, but I think we have a bit of the fear of the unknown. And we know, you know, I think about Paul's writings. We know we're not given a spirit of fear. That's not a, a spirit that we're to have. That's right. And that we're given. Um, it's one of hope. So I, sometimes I think this fear can be overwhelming for folks. And you mentioned about the authority. That was actually our third point, um, was that the legislature would address the authority. Actually, in law, it's defined as ultimate authority for the Department of Health on matters concerning quarantines and isolation. That That is ultimate authority given to the director and to the Department of Health. So they're the ones making these decisions. And I think we think about, you know, you reference the Spanish flu or you think about maybe when uh, I know the laws have been tweaked a little bit and at least discussed uh, by the legislature. The thought would be maybe a biochemical attack or something like that. I'm not sure that anyone envisioned that the authority would be taken the way it has been taken in this instant with that's how it's come down. And it's basically come down with zero say of the legislature because they were not meeting through all this. Now, they may have been weighing in via text message and being by consultation, but that's our point all along. When we're going against constitutional rights, this can't come from from one person. Well, that's right. And communication is most important, especially among our uh, representatives in the Ohio legislature, both in the Ohio House, the Ohio Senate, some of our statewides. Uh, And of course, we've been on the phone with the attorney general, with the secretary of state's office, with members in the Ohio House and Ohio Senate, as I know that you have as well. And it's, it's important to have that kind of communication and express our concerns that we're receiving into our offices. I know, I'm sure in your office and in our office, the Ohio Christian Alliance, we've been talking with people with these kinds of concerns. First of all, What's the timetable? What's the end game here? What's the deadline? Okay, so the the dates have moved around here. First of all, we were told three weeks that this would be, uh, let's lessen this uh, curve as far as let's not see a spike in infections that would overload the healthcare system in Ohio. Uh, so that might be three weeks. Well, that would put us to about... Um, 
uh, you know, April 6th. Then we're hearing uh, the president's talking about he'd like to see America get back to work by April 10th. That's a uh, 12th. Excuse me. That's actually Easter Sunday. Let's have services. Let's have worship. Let's get back to work. And now, but, uh, you know, Governor DeWine has mentioned as far out as May 1st that we may not see a spike of this until the third or fourth week of April or by May 1st. So it can't be an indefinite period of time. And just before uh, you came on, Rob, we had some business leaders to, talking about that, the, the terrible uh, consequence there is for small business that has to pay the bills every day. Uh, the revenue's not coming in. The customers aren't there. They're, they're bitter, their businesses are shuttered, but yet they still have the obligations of keeping those businesses open, uh, but that many of them may not survive this. And uh, there, we're going to talk about this is going to have a, a terrible economic impact for months and possibly years to come. Your thoughts on that? It, it is, and that's one of the things that's given us concern, and we've gotten a lot of feedback um, regarding what we sent out from those business leaders, from people that are saying, thank you for fighting the fight. We know that you are not saying it out of disregard for human life. That would be the last thing that we would want anyone to take from this. We are saying it because we're doing our best to talk to the doctors. We're studying the numbers. We're looking at things the way they're coming down. And we have to remember, too, everyone seems to want to take this and angle it on what they see is best to fit their their numbers. You know what I mean? Like, So it takes a lot of homework to get this done the right way. And we encourage people to do that homework. When you start comparing numbers from different countries, you have to look, well, what is the population of that country? Don't just take raw numbers. Take, you're going to have to look at percentages. What do those, where, how do those people live? Are they in cities that are on top of each other? How much international travel do they have? Are there, you know, there's so many things that come into play. What's the age of the population? We know COVID-19 hits the elderly much harder than it does the young. Yes. That's a fact from all around. We also know those with compromised immune systems um, are going to be hit much harder. We know that. So we can look around and see what's been done in other places and other countries, how they've isolated, how maybe they didn't even shut down schools in some places, and they worked their way through it in a way where they were in it together, where they were in it together with an understanding rather than having um, the mandates and the dictates. And, and look, we do want to, uh, you know, thank uh, Governor DeWine and the health director and those in the administration who have taken these kinds of precautions and got out and ahead of this thing. And the curve in Ohio is lesser than in other states. And um, in fact, so there's been some good news in that regard. But I agree with you that the modeling needs to be more accurate. You can't just take it from uh, it's not a mirror image of what's happening in a northern province in uh, Italy and compare right. that to Ohio or even to the entire United States. That's not, uh, you know, by statisticians who have looked at it, that doesn't make sense. And so the numbers actually have to match. If you're going to do these kinds of extreme measures, you have to be able to back it up with the numbers and with the data that actually uh, bolsters your argument. So I think that's all fair. We're being respectful, certainly, of government wow. and authority and of the governor, and we're praying for him. Uh, you know, look, folks, bottom line, we are praying for those in authority at this time, as Timothy tells us to do in the scriptures, you know, in, in, in uh, the epistle to Timothy uh, by Apostle Paul. We are to pray for those in authority, and we are doing that, and we encourage that. We implore you to 
pray for the president, pray for his cabinet, pray for uh, Governor DeWine and, and Lieutenant Governor John Houston and all those who are serving us in uh, the public's interest here in the state of Ohio, certainly. Uh, and those, of course, in health care uh, that serve us day in and day out. Uh, and they are really the heroes in all this. And so, Rob, they, they your are. thoughts on that? Well, it, it isn't. It, it, you're exactly right. And it isn't personal. I mean, listen, Governor DeWine, everyone loves loves Governor DeWine. I mean, um, he, he's he's navigating it. He's out there talking to people. He's in front of it. He's answer, Him and Dr. Acton are answering the, the tough questions every single day. They are. Um, so it, it isn't personal. But also, when it comes to the rule of law, we can't suspend it or we can't move it to the side because we're in a tough situation or a tough circumstance. Um, and we definitely can't do it just because we really like the person that's governor at the time. Uh, we wouldn't want it to be done um, if there was someone that maybe maybe was a bit less li- likable, if you will. Um, but so it, it, the rule of law is the rule of law. Yes. We want to um, change the law. We have to go about that the right way. So that that's all we're encouraging. And um, people can read our release at aproundtable.org. They can see the entire text of our release. The fourth point of the release says an immediate proposal for state funding from the Rainy Day Fund to increase the capacity of Ohio hospitals to care for COVID-19 patients. And we talk in there about um, you know, we have a few billion dollars in there, close to three billion that's, in the rainy day fund. That's right, and that that speaks to the judicial uh, uh, interest in uh, local. I mean, in state government over the last few years. You know, I know that Governor Kasich uh, boasted about that uh, that the rainy day fund when he first got there, something like had thirty four cents in it or something. And now we have a couple billion dollars, and of course, uh, state government. Of course, it's our money. I mean, folks, what is the rainy day fund? In fact, Rob, tell us what is the rainy day fund. It's taxpayer money. It's all of our yes. money that's been left over that they didn't spend. I mean, um, it, so, you know, listen, I'll, I'll be the first to admit, I'm always not a huge fan of having a, an enormous rainy day fund because of the fact that's taxpayer money you're holding on to. That's right. However, if there was ever a rainy day, it's pouring right now. You got it, I mean, brother. It is pouring. So that money should be used. And what better way to use some of it than to put it out there to expand the ability that hospitals have to pay for ventilators if they're needed, to purchase masks, all the PPE equipment, all of the things that we're talking about. Let's spend that money and let's do it to protect Ohioans. Let's do our let's do that. So that was the call. Again, our release wasn't to knock on people. Our release wasn't to have a disregard to safety. Our release was to say, hey, the rule of law is the rule of law. Here's how we feel about it. Well, there's 11 and a half million Ohioans. We are all in this together. Absolutely. Rob, thank you so much for coming on today and sharing that. We agree with you on the points that you've made uh, and what Dave Zanotti has done here in putting out this release. Again, for the American Policy Roundtable, give the website again. They can visit us at aproundtable.org or thepublicsquare.com. Happy to serve with you, my friend, in the state government and our policy work. Thank you so much. Hey, thank you. Talk soon. God bless. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back on the other side with some closing thoughts. Almighty God, our sons, pride of our nation, this day have set upon a mighty endeavor, a struggle to preserve our republic, our religion, and our civilization, and to set free a suffering humanity. 
and the soldiers who stormed the beaches of Normandy and the Allied liberation of Europe. On D-Day, all those warriors set out on their mission. President Franklin Delano Roosevelt led our nation in prayer. The D-Day Prayer Project is an effort to add FDR's D-Day Prayer in its entirety at the World War II Memorial in Washington, D.C. This wonderful historical presidential prayer will be a lasting tribute to our World War II veterans. If you'd like to make a contribution towards the effort of adding this prayer to the memorial, go to the website at ddayprayerproject.org. That's ddayprayerproject.org. Hello, I'm Ohio Governor Mike DeWine. We need all Ohioans to help us slow the spread of the coronavirus. For the most up-to-date information, please visit our website at coronavirus.ohio.gov or call 1-833-4-ASK-ODH seven days a week. Furnished by Governor Mike DeWine. Aired by the Ohio Association of Broadcasters and this station. There are everyday actions to help prevent the spread of respiratory diseases. Wash your hands. Avoid close contact with people who are sick. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Stay home when you are sick. Cover your cough or sneeze. Clean and disinfect frequently touched objects with household cleaning spray. For more information, visit cdc.gov COVID-19. This message brought to you by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station. Okay, and that's what we want to do. We want to pray for those in authority right now. We want to pray for our governor. We want to pray for our president. We want to pray for those serving with them. We want to pray for uh, those involved with health care right now, our doctors, our nurses, all those who work in health care, our paramedics. And we want to pray for those who are on the front line uh, battling the coronavirus health care crisis in our state and nation. And let's pray for some of our governors in other states as well, as New York has been hard hit. And let's pray for the people of New York, and let's intercede for them. What I want you to do also is uh, to take in Psalm 91, which is a promise in the, in the Word of God concerning uh, these kinds of times. Uh, the, the Bible really gives us these kinds of promises that we can hold on to, and uh, that's what we need to do. We need to, to uh, hold on to God's promise. I want to also share with you about um, the upcoming election. There will be an election. In fact, we're getting word today that it may be April 28th. It's not going to be the June 2nd. They're going to do an all-mail ballot um, uh, uh, ballot mail-in election. So that's a little different for a lot of us because we are the ones who actually go to the polls on Election Day, including me. And so... It's going to be a mail-in ballot, and so what you can do, you can request an absentee uh, ballot, and you could do that by calling in to your local board of elections. Well, on our website, at the Ohio Christian Alliance website, uh, you can go there, and there's a, a link for both an application for absentee ballot. You can actually print that off. You can do actually you can fill some of it in. It's a fillable form. Fill it in, but you have to print it out, and then you have to sign it with your ink pen. And then you're going to have to mail it in to your board of election and then uh, in your county, and that's where you want to mail it into. And they'll mail you out a ballot. So right now they are accepting the applications for absentee ballots. They're time stamping them, 
and then they're going to issue you a ballot, uh, and then you can cast that in before the election date, which will now probably be April the 28th. So they're going to decide that today in the Ohio legislature. You'll be hearing about that the next couple of days, whether it's going to be April 28th or some date in May. So um, know that it's important for you to vote your values, to cast your ballot and to weigh in and to support those candidates that align with your biblical worldview. That's what we're all about here on News and Focus and the Ohio Christian Alliance. And I want to leave you with this scripture from Psalm 91. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God. In Him will I trust. Surely He shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler and from the noise and pestilence, He shall cover thee with his feathers, and under his wings shalt thou trust. Put your trust in the Lord at this time, and also praying for your family members. God keep you safe, my friends. And if you missed any of today's program, you can hear it in its entirety at our website at ohioca.org. Thanks for listening. God bless. You have been listening to News in Focus with your host, Chris Long, president of the Ohio Christian Alliance. To learn more about the issues that matter most to you and your family, visit online at ohioca.org. That's ohioca.org. Thank you for listening. This program is sponsored by the Ohio Christian Alliance of Akron, Ohio.